0: Isn't God good? You know, we think about some of the things that we've gone through. We think about some of the the times in our life and to realize how much God loves us and cares for us is just truly remarkable. It always uh, impresses me to just think about all that Jesus has done, all that God has done because of his love. I mean, he's not asking for anything other than my life, but it's just because he loves us. Man, incredible just to think about God and what he does and Jesus and just the life that, we, he's, that he lived and we get to read about in scripture. We've been in the book of Mark for the last several weeks and we're going to continue there today in Mark chapter 3 if you want to go ahead and turn. We're going to back up in the scriptures just a little bit uh, and look at Mark sorry, chapter 3 starting verse 13. But we want to just continue this this look at Jesus' life and his ministry and, and some of the intricacies of this ministry and how he went about things. Because everything that Jesus does and everything that Jesus has taught us through the gospel of Mark is about how he loves us and he cares for us, but also how he's preparing us. And it's just incredible to think that God could could be preparing us for something more, something something different, something greater, or maybe just something that just really affirms in our lives and in, in, in our relationship with him, what he's doing, how he's doing, why he's doing, so that we have a full appreciation for what's going on. This morning, I want you to think about something. I don't know when you were a kid, if you played the game, like if you could have the perfect mom, what would you put? How would your mom be? Anybody play that game when you were a kid? I didn't either because I had the perfect mom, so it was really cool. <laughs> Points in the bank. But, you know, when you started thinking of the list, you started thinking of, like, the best of the best of the best of the best qualities, and that was your ideal mom and things like that. When you think about the disciples and and the people that Jesus was around, what do you think about? Who would you have picked? I mean, think about it for just a second. God is going to give you an opportunity to change the world. He is, he is tasking you, He's giving you the assignment of your life is going to be on this earth and you are literally going to start something that will forever change the course of history. And not only that, God is going to give you also the opportunity to pick 12 individuals and you can pick whoever you want. And I'm not talking from the Bible, I mean you're thinking right now the 12 people that you would want around you to help you change the world. In your mind, and your thought process, if the job was yours to pick you plus 12, which people are going to be in your 12? Which people would you pick to walk with you for three years to change the world? Now, the churchy ones in the room will be like, well, I would pick the Bible study leader and the person that prays really well, and we would pick the most generous of us. That's the churchy answer. But what's the real answer? Well, you're probably going to pick a scientist. You're going to pick some teachers or, or educators. You're going to pick doctors and physicians. You may pick a businessman so they can, you know, kind of work on the economy. You're going to pick somebody that's a craftsman, somebody that can build things. Because, I mean, if we're going to change the world, we may need to have a house or something, you know, maybe a complex. I don't know. You're going to pick the best of the best that you feel the world has to offer. Would that be correct? You're going to do, what in your mind, what the world says you may want to do. So back it up in the New Testament, All by really truly starting in the Old Testament, there was a, a job called the rabbi. Many of you are familiar with that term, but there was a job, and to become a rabbi meant that you had to really kind of go through this entire lifelong, grueling process. To become a rabbi, to be one of the spiritual leaders, spiritual teachers of that day and age, meant that you had to kind of go through this threefold education process that would literally take you the majority of your life. The first one, the, the first level of that education, was that when you were young, you were going to have to memorize the Old Testament word for word. That meant that you were going to have to be really good, and you're not only going to have to ballpark the scriptures, but you're going to have to know them word for word. You're going to have to know the intricacies of that scripture, where it came from, who wrote it, what the meaning of that scripture is. You're going to have to know every single thing about that that verbiage. And for us, majority of that is the Old Testament. Looking at the beginning parts of Genesis through the first five, six books of the Bible, you got to know everything about that. And if you made it through that, then you are moving on to round two. If you did not make it through that, then you went back to the family business. And in many ways, it kind of feels like a failure. Some of you are sitting there going, no, that's actually a success because I don't have to worry about this anymore. But for them, being a rabbi, was kind of a, it was kind of prestigious. And so, hey, if I made it to round two, then I've got to get into somewhere. And so round two becomes this rigorous interview situa- system where you've got to be able to look at theological issues. You've got to be able to look at the laws. You've got to be able to interpret them. You have to not only know what the scripture says, but be able to apply it in every situation possible. And so, if you made the round, if you made the cut in round one and you made in the cut of round two, then you got to the third where you would then be an apprentice for a season, and by season, we mean many many years where you would literally go side by side with this rabbi and you would walk with this individual every step of the way you become his personal assistant you become kind of the person that has to to dictate some of the what he was saying in, in, in mixed company you've got to be able to apply things and, and you really have to become whoever this person is that is in front of you and then if you were the best of the best of the best of the apprentices then maybe you become a rabbi this is how religion was trying to encourage and teach the will of god and many of us look at this situation we're like there's no way i don't know if i could go through you know 12 years of schooling go through some more of college and master's level, and I, and I know my field very well, but maybe not perfectly, and then I have to go be an apprentice with somebody for years, you would be probably discouraged, and you'd probably give up because it's like this feels like a no-win scenario. It was intentional because if you were to be a rabbi, he want, they wanted the best of the best of the best. You didn't want to leave these things to chance. This is how they were planning to change the world based on religion. And then comes Jesus. Jesus, in many ways, looks at this and says, I have a better plan. I'm going to do something a little different. And that's where we pick up in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. It starts in verse 13. It says, Jesus went up from the mountain and summoned those that he wanted, and, he came, and they came to him. He appointed 12 whom he had named the apostles to be with him, to send out... To preach, to have them to give, or excuse me, for them to have the authority to drive out demons. So he appointed twelve. To Simon he gave the name Peter, to James the son of Zebedee, and to John he gave the name that means sons of thunder Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him. Those are the twelve that Jesus picked. And if you're keeping score at at your seat there in the audience, let me just let you know what these people did for a living. Four of them, we'll put it up on the screen here, four of them were fishermen. Fishermen is probably one of the least educated men in the the Bible times. Then you did have some educated people. You have a tax collector that's got to come with some skills. You got to be able to count and do math. In many ways, you had to cheat the system. We've learned about Levi and Matthew. You had a treasure that later became a thief because it is much believed that Judas Iscariot was stealing from the disciples and kind of doing some things, side deals and things like that. He felt that Jesus should be like a a Roman conqueror in many ways, and so he was going to put himself in a position to, to fund this conquering. And then you have a zealot, a very passionate individual, but then you have five individuals that we really don't know what they did. Some of them could have been fishermen. They could have had other professions. We don't know what they did. So here you have one system of thought saying, hey, look, if, if we're really going to change the world, then we need people that are the best of the best of the best. That's the religion portion of that. But then you come over here on Jesus' side of this game and he says, I just need people that have potential to change the world based on the calling that God had given to them. So these individuals, they didn't have the the pedigree. They didn't have the resume. They didn't have the education. But what they did have is a willingness to say yes and a willingness to do whatever God called them to do, to to follow him, to, to study, to grow. And later in life, they would literally flip the world upside down, as the book of Acts tells us. That's what Jesus is calling us to. So for us, sometimes when we come to church, We get into a situation where we say, well, we've got to know everything, and I don't know everything, so I'm disqualified. And Jesus is saying, you're not disqualified at all. If you have a willing heart, then I can use you, and I can do things with you. Rabbis would look at the best. Jesus would look at the potential. He would look at the callings, the apostle, the evangelist, the teacher, the shepherd, the pastor. He would look at these things and say, how can I use these people? Because remember what Samuel, remember his situation when he was trying to pick the next king and David was out in the field? Man, he, was ready to, he was ready to anoint one of Jesse's other sons. And God stops Samuel in his tracks and, and really sets the tone for the rest of the Bible when He tells Samuel in verse uh, in First Samuel 16, the second half of verse seven, He says, "Look, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord sees the heart. So when we think about our relationship with the Lord." And, and please don't raise your hand because I, you, I don't want you to feel embarrassed or feel pressured into responding. Sometimes when we look at our life and our relationship with the Lord, do you feel like you don't match up? You don't qualify? You're not worthy of whatever God is, is doing around you or through you? Because you're looking at things that only man sees. God is looking inward in the heart. Because from the flow of the heart becomes the ministry and the opportunities in which God gives to us. If our heart is in the right place, then we are able to do things for the kingdom that we never thought possible. I mean, seriously, if you look at Peter, and many of us, we've been in church a long time ago, a long time enough, where you know the story of Peter. You know how he went from a fisherman, and he was a hothead, and his mouth kicked in about an hour before his brain did. We know all these things. Is that the person that you're going to pick to change the world? You're not going to pick that person because you probably don't even want to be around that person. But Jesus looks at Peter and says, this is the perfect person for me to build the church. This is the one that will be willing to walk into any situation, be able to speak to any crowd that I put him in front of and share the gospel of Christ because he will be willing to do whatever it takes. We would stop at the, we would stop at the window and stop shopping. And Jesus went straight to the heart and says, this is the one. For some of us, you've got to really—you've got to stop being able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, "Well, I guess I don't mat up." And you need to allow God to really show you your heart and the way that He designed you and the way that He created you and how He's empowered you, and then allow the God, allow the Lord to speak into your life and say, "Yes, you're worthy," because I say you're worthy, and because I let my Son die for you because you're worthy, and because I love you. That's the way that we need to do this. These these guys were going to enter into a. a kind of a relationship and, and a discipleship model that many of us have here at the church. We try to do this. We try to develop and we try to allow people to, to see this is a very simplistic way to look at this. And so I want to put it on the screen. And as it in there, I want you to see kind of that path of discipleship, that path of being able to grow as a leader. Okay? It's a very simple process. Step one, I do, you watch. When you think about your mom, you think about grandma, you think about somebody that taught you how to cook or how to do laundry or how to you know, do a, a skill or a trade. Most of the time, every one of us started with, they did, you watched. When we think about scripture and we think about growing, many of us get in Bible study where the teacher teaches and I listen. This is the first step. But do not stop at step one. Move on to step two where then you become more of the instigator. You become more of the doer where it says, I do most and you do some. Where inside of a Bible study, you may say, well, the teacher still teaches and still reads the scriptures, but now I'm participating. I'm answering. I'm growing. I may be studying a scripture and said, hey, you said this and I read about that. Maybe it's a skill at home. And when you're cooking, like I'm going to cook most and you start prepping, you start chopping up the onions or whatever. You, you just begin to have more participation in what's going on. And if you stop there, it's like, well, I have a little bit of investment, and that's cool. I could get the star on the board, and that's not enough. For us to help you grow and for for you to develop, then we have to get to that step three, where it's about mutual. It's doing things together, where you're growing, and I'm growing, and we're teaching one another. This is where everybody has equal partnership and responsibilities of what's going on. We do equally the same amount. Some of us, that's where we're at. Like, we're in this together. We're in the team. Everybody has a a share of of what's going on. And the fourth level is where now the teacher kind of backs up a little bit, where you do most and the teacher does some. And that is where it kind of gets a little more challenging, does it not? Because that's when the fear and the risk starts to kick in, and you're thinking, well, if I I do this wrong, then they're going to hate me. But the challenge is it's okay to fail as long as you're failing forward. And if you fail backwards, it's okay, pick yourself up and keep going because God wants to continue to grow you and do things. And as you see the disciples, don't you see later in the scriptures where the disciples were doing most and Jesus was doing some? And in those moments is where the disciples felt like they weren't adequate and they were asking questions and they were saying, Jesus, wait a minute, how can I not do the same thing that you're doing? And Jesus is like, it's about faith. If you would develop your faith, then you would be able to do more than you can see. And then you get into the rest of the New Testament and what are the disciples doing? All the things that Jesus was doing. And they were beginning to grow and stretch and be, be able to teach and be able to do things that they never thought possible when they were sitting on a boat or sitting at a table taking, taking taxes. And then the last one is, you do all and I watch. And that's when you really know that you have grown someone and that's really where you know that you have developed, where you can do everything and the teacher just sits there and gets to kind of just watch and just pray and just to kind of, hey, let's keep going. Because that's the way we develop. If we start watching and then we start doing and we start taking on ownership and responsibility, at some point what these 12 men decided was at some point we've got to do this because Jesus told us he's not always going to be here. And Jesus even later in the Bible says that they will do greater things than even he has done because they stretched the gospel so far. And this is what we have done with the moms as they've raised their children. We have been taught how to do our laundry, how not to burn the house down when we cook, praise God. We've been taught how to change you know, diapers, which, guys, take that class. It's okay. You'll live. But they, here's what they really taught us. They taught us how to love like Jesus. I mean, you think about some of the godliest women in your life that have been either your own personal mom or somebody that's been a mom-like figure. Have they not taught you to love like Jesus? Have they not taught you how to lead like Jesus because they were leading you? Have they not encouraged you so much more because they have helped you see through their experiences and through their eyes and their situations how much God loves you and cares for you, how much Jesus wants you and loves you? Those are the ways that that our moms and the mom-like figures in our lives have really challenged us. They live out on a daily basis, Proverbs 22 Verse 6, it says, train a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This moment in Mark chapter 3 is much like a launching pad. Because this is the moment when the 12 were gathered, and, and, and really it only took two words. Follow me. There was no explanation. There was no, like you know, layout of the plan, there was no like, you know, 401k, there was no retirement on the you know the hill kind of conversations. It was two words, follow me. Why would Mark say say this this passage of scripture is important for you to know? Because those two words meant a great deal to those individuals, and they literally began to change the world that day when they said, Yes, I will follow you. For some of us, let me just let me just pause real quick and say it's not enough to know Jesus. It's not enough to know scriptures about Jesus. It's not even enough to sing songs to Jesus. What makes a difference in these 12 and some of us and the way that we've grown up, these people have followed Jesus to the ends of the earth and we barely follow him into the seat. We have got to do when we develop our lives. We've got to do a good job of following Jesus in every scenario in which we live. It can be scary. It can be challenging. It can be troubling. It can really make you want to pull out your hair. Every mom knows that situation pretty well. But you continue to move forward and do the things that you're called to do because God says, hey, if you're with me and you will follow me, I will be with you to the end of time. And even then, we'll just start a new chapter and we'll be together for eternity. Follow me. And so as Jess and I were looking at these scriptures, we were trying to think, what are the things that really set these disciples apart? And so as you look, the first thing that we notice about these guys is they were with Jesus. And so I would encourage you, if you really want to follow Jesus the way that these disciples have followed Jesus, then you need to be with Jesus. It's not enough to know him, but you've got to be with him. You really have got to stretch yourself up. We're invited, and we need to accept the invitation. We have got to, to, to be with him and, and, and follow everything that he commands, not because of our greatness. Can we just pause real quick? Jesus doesn't invite you into a relationship because of your greatness. He invites you into a relationship because he loves you and he cares for you. And it's his greatness that he's trying to get you with him for eternity. And so because of his love for you, he accept, or he invites you to accept him as Lord and Savior. We've got to accept the invitation because we're also prepping for what's to come. Jesus wants you to be with Him because He's going to have you be with Him for eternity. Can we pause and just appreciate that for a moment? Can it get a little scary sometimes when we think about eternity? You ever have those moments when you close your eyes you're like, man, the next time I open my eyes, it may be with I'm walking with Jesus. On the human side, on the earthly side, that can get a little scary. But then you start thinking about all the things that God is going to do. At best, maybe we get 70, 80, 90 years out of this life. That's like a drop in the bucket. Jesus is saying, "What are we going to do? How am I preparing you on this side of eternity for the first seven hundred fifty thousand years of eternity?" I mean, if you really want a word picture of that, like imagine like just a drop of water. That is your life, and eternity is like Percy Priest Lake. How many drops are in that lake? If you want to go count, today's probably not the day, but you could try. But that would be just the beginning. That <laughs> Percy Priest Lake is the seven hundred fifty thousand years of eternity. The beginning. And Jesus is saying, we're going longer than 750. We're going for eternity. It's endless. Let's prepare ourselves to be worshipers. Let's prepare ourselves to follow Jesus for eternity and really have some fun with it. We're not, taking, we're not talking about these guys about being, you know, about being equals. They're being followers. We're not talking about checking the box, saying, hey, I'll show up. I'll, re- I'll bring my Bible. I'll read it from time to time. We're talking about I'm going to live it. I'm going to do whatever it takes to develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ as our mission statement. I'm going to be with you. I mean, some of you that are, that are married in the room, if your spouse looked at you and said, yeah, I'll, I'll live in the same house, would you have said yes? Probably not. Because when we looked at each other's eyes, when Kyle and I made our wedding vows, and we, looked and we held hands and, and we, we looked at each other, we promised, I'm not only going to be here right now, but I'm going to be with you to the end of time. And that's the way that Jesus wants us to love him, that I'm not only just going to be here for the moment, but I'm going to be with you for all time. Be with Jesus. What's beautiful about these things for us is that we're going to have a moment in, in heaven where we're going to be standing before the Lord, and there's going to be a conversation that we get to you know, kind of be with him, and we get to talk, and he's going to talk to us, and he's going to share some things about it. And then he's going to say one of two things. When we go through our life and how we're living and and Jesus is walking with us and we're talking about being with him, he's either going to say one of two things. One, well done, my good and faithful servant. Or two, depart from me because I never knew you. So when you think about being with Jesus, think about the answer to that question. Heaven shows up and, and you're there and you're before the Lord. Is Jesus going to look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. The gates of heaven are open wide, run through or is Jesus going to hit you with the pause button and say, hold on, hold on, hold on? You talk a good game. You showed up at church a lot, but you never were with me, and I don't know who you are. Are you with Jesus? The second thing that Justin and I were pointing to is we were talking about, what, are, what sets these guys apart? They became like Jesus. So for you to develop as a disciple, you've got to not only be with Jesus, but you've got to be like Jesus. I mean, you think about these guys, you think about the 12 that were chosen, they had no special qualities. There's nothing about them that you would pick apart and be like, yeah, that's exactly why I would pick Peter. That's exactly why I would pick Thaddeus. That's exactly why you would pick Matthew. You really didn't have anything to go with, like, that is the standard by which Jesus picked. But yet, Jesus picked them because he could see things that we couldn't. He could see the potential, he could see the progress, he could see where they were going to go and the willingness to do whatever it takes. He was willing to take a chance on them. And I think some of you need to understand, Jesus is willing to take a chance on you if you're willing to become like him and be like him. John 14, 12 says, Truly, I tell you, no one that believes in me will also do the works that, or excuse me, truly, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to go be with the Father. These 12 had this moment where it's like, hey, I'm going to teach you for three years. It's an intensive internship apprenticeship program. And when I get done, when we get done with these things, you are going to go do things that even I will not do on earth. And you think about like where Jesus was in relation to the Bible. If you drew a circle on a map, you would see that that's not that big of a circle when it comes to the full globe. And these 12 began to take, and obviously we know what happened to Judas, but the 11 of the 12 then take the gospel. The circle got a whole lot bigger. And they started, taking to the, the, they started taking the gospel to places that we had never even thought of. All of a sudden, you're like, wow, the expansion. And not only that, but they, they developed people along the way. So when John had his church and he was writing these letters, you know where they took the gospel? They took it even further. When they were investing in Paul and Paul was coming on the scene, he even took it even further. And because of these people, the domino effect has mean the gospel made its way all across the Atlantic into the United States. And you know all because of what they were willing to do means that you and I are sitting in this church and we have an opportunity to hear the gospel. Who's gonna come behind you because you're being like Jesus? Who's gonna know about the gospel because you're being like Jesus and taking it? What I love about the disciples is and, and I share this with Justin, they started out as as complete and total strangers. I mean, they didn't really know each other. Obviously, a couple of them did maybe because they were brothers. At least I hope they would know they were brothers. You know, but when they got there, it's like, wait, you two know each other and you two know each other, but we don't really know each other. And then all of a sudden, as time goes by, as you read the scriptures, these strangers became a unified reflection of who Jesus is. I have to ask ourselves as a church family, are we becoming a unified reflection of who Jesus is in this community? Or are we just doing our own thing? You know, we, we, we've studied Scripture and we've looked, and I've, I've, for whatever reason, I've seen movies that have had this line you know, a House Divided. We studied it last week. House Divided cannot stand on its own. Backing up from, from that, from in this week, you look at it, and he says, The disciples were a unified reflection of Jesus Christ. We need to do that as a church. To be like Jesus is to look like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to share the gospel like Jesus. We need to be a unified reflection of who he is. Craig Rochelle was a, is a pastor in Oklahoma, and he wrote a devotional that, that I was reading this week. And he said, influential people start with who, and then they let what they do flow from there. Meaning, I need to figure out who I am and who I'm supposed to be in the kingdom and allow what I do flow from there. So as we pray, we begin to pray, Jesus, help me become who I need to be, who I need to be in my home, in my place of business, in my school, who I need to be with the gospel in this community. Jesus, who do you need me to be? Because then it will affect what I do and how I go about it. And that is the third point. As we were with Jesus and we become like Jesus, then we do as Jesus did. True reflection of how we know Uh, how we're doing with our relationship with the Lord is how we're living out Scripture. I mean, if you want to talk about depth of discipleship, I had a pastor one time say, the depth of discipleship is not what you know, it's what you live out. So you may know a thousand Scriptures, and you may be able to take the, the Greek and the Hebrew and just tear those Scriptures apart and know exactly what they do, how they mean, the context in which they were written. But if you don't live it out, your depth is not deep. Depth is not measured by what you know. Depth is measured by what you live out. And we are called, much like the disciples, not to just to get to know Jesus, not to just be around Jesus, but we are to live Jesus out in every step of the way. Last week, Justin was sharing from Mark chapter 3, verse 27, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder the house. What Jesus is saying there is, look, I'm going to go back and I'm going to steal what Satan has tried to take. But before I go and take that back, I'm going I'm to bind Satan so he has no power, no authority, no ability to go do what he needs to do or wants to do, and so I have full reign to go do what I want to do. And so for some of us to, to do as Jesus, we've got to start with binding the devil from our lives. We've got to start to kick him out of every scenario and situation. That may mean that we have to change the nature of our relationships. That may mean we need to change the lifestyle in which we're living. But we do whatever it takes to bind the devil so there's nothing but room for Jesus and we can do what we need to do because later in Matthew Jesus says I'm extending my authority to do as I did I'm going to have to extend some authority to you and so he says in the great commission Matthew 28 verse 18 through 20 he says I, he came near Jesus came near to them said all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe Everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you to the always to the end of the age. We are to do as Jesus has done for us. Love people all the way into a relationship with God. And the beautiful thing about that is Jesus doesn't let us go unarmed. He extends his authority to do what he's doing. These guys, these 12 that Jesus picked out, had every authority to go preach. They had all authority to go and drive out darkness. They had all authority to go out and begin to heal and to help people become whole again. So do we. We have the ability, based on our calling and based on the way God has wired us and gifted us, that we can go do those things because Jesus is extending his authority in a relationship once we identify a relationship with him and the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it's basically the doors have, happened, have opened up to us for us to go and do things for the kingdom of God. But not for our glory, not for my benefit, for the God's benefit, for God's kingdom, for God's glory. If it becomes selfish, it wasn't for anything other than you. But God gives us the ability to do that. We are to do as Jesus has done for us. What's, what's amazing is the disciples, when they would leave Jesus, would always come back amazed. You ever notice that as you read scriptures? They would go do something and then they're kind of like they're blown away. Like, wow, can anyone believe that that happened? Can you imagine the table talk when Jesus wasn't around? Did we just do that? Did we just take baskets of food and feed more people than humanly possible? Did Jesus just walk on water? Did Peter just walk on water? (laughs) Did that storm just calm down? Then you get an ax. Did we really just stand up to the Sanhedrin and live to tell about it? Did we really just take the gospel to that city? I thought they were our enemies. Did Jesus really just do that in our midst? Yes. You know why? Because he's that good. They were amazed at what Jesus had done. They were amazed at what they could do. They were amazed at how, how God used them. But you know what? It was never about them. And I think, you know, some of the things, when I think about my mom and I think about Callie and I think about my grandmothers, both of them, you know, now with the Lord, I don't see them doing things for themselves. And some of the greatest disciples that I've known personally on this side of heaven, I didn't see them doing anything for their own glory. I just saw them living out a life that they loved Jesus, and they lived it out to the best of their ability. It's kind of like the greatest you know, robbery in history is they are robbing people from hell and getting them to heaven as fast as possible. Those are, those are the way that those human beings in my life have done. These people right here in the Bible, these 12 individuals, 11 of these 12 individuals, literally changed the world for the same reason, not for their glory, not for their benefit, because they found and they followed Jesus they found a love for him that is unmatched. So we're, in, we're invited. We're called. Will you accept the invitation? So let's look at some questions. And I really want to challenge you. I know this is kind of to get a little studious with uh, school here. But look at the board here, will you? <laughs> will we accept the invitation to be with Jesus? Some of you right now, the invitation is right before you. It is a free invitation that you would come and you would fully surrender the difference in a person that knows Jesus and follows Jesus is the person that follows Jesus is fully surrendered to what he wants to do. And so it is your invitation that we give to you today. If you would say, hey, I want Jesus in my life. That invitation is not my own. It's, an, it's something that Jesus had offered to the people. If you will follow Jesus, he is inviting you into a loving, deep, eternal relationship with him. And through that relationship, you get access to God in eternity. And if we're all around, if you know some believers around you, When we accepted Jesus, there's a lot of great things that have happened in our lives because of that relationship. Not magic tricks. I'm just talking about relationship things that are built inside of us. Relationship investments is probably a great way to say it. But will you accept the invitation that Jesus is doing for you? And he's extending saying, come, follow me, be with me, be like me, and I will teach you how to do as I did. The second question is, will we accept the invitation to become like Jesus? Will you take your relationship with him instead of like a, I know about you, to I am becoming like you? Will you begin to live that relationship out in your family, in your coworkers, in your neighborhood, in your school? Will you begin to live out those things of Jesus? Because here's the greatest thing. Preachers, evangelists, people that proclaim the gospel, no doubt that's effective. But you know one of the greatest ways to evangelize your, the people around you? Just live like Jesus. Love them so well that it's undeniable that Jesus Christ is real. That's how people come to know Jesus. Somebody's like, well, I don't know if my story makes a difference. I'm going to tell you something. Your story makes an incredible difference. Because when you place that story into Jesus' hands, you'll be surprised at who needed to hear it. The disciples placed their stories in Jesus' hand, and they changed the world. What will Jesus do through you and your story and your situation? Come be like Jesus. Come be with Jesus. And the last question, will you do as Jesus did? Church family, I want to talk specifically to you this morning about that. I think Jesus calls and commands us to love like him, but we've got to set ourself aside. It's kind of like sometimes when you're inside the club, you feel like pretty safe. This isn't a club to come inside and feel safe. This is an opportunity and a fellowship to come and feel empowered so you can go out in the gospel and bring more people into it. We're, we're not hoarders, we're empowerers. We want to go empower you into the community. We want to go empower you into your neighborhood. We want to go empower you into your house. So if you're male, female, it doesn't matter. We want to empower you with the gospel so you can go live it out. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. We want to empower you to be able to go and live Jesus in your circle because you will find if, as you live it out and you become empowered and you feel that power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you and that relationship with Jesus coming alive in you, you will see that there are more opportunities to bring more people into that relationship with the Lord. Will you? Accept Him. Will you follow Him? And will you do as He do, as he does? Today, we have three ways that we want you to respond this morning. If you would say, hey, I want to accept Jesus. I know Eric's sitting right here in front. I'll be right here in the, in the front as well, maybe off to the side just a little bit. You can come and talk to us and say, hey, I want to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We'll also have some great friends called prayer partners. They're going to be on the sides. They will also have that conversation with you. And they will begin you on the greatest journey of your life. Second way is that you can come on the sides and in the mezzanine as well, and there'll be a place where you can take the Lord's Supper. You can unify your heart and say, hey, Lord, as I remember you, I want to do as you did. And this morning, I want to commune. I want to u- unify my heart with yours in remembrance of you and because of you. And maybe you just want to come and pray. We'll, we'll open this area and you say, Lord, I want to follow you better than I have. I want to be with you more than I am. I want to do what it takes to, to help develop disciples. You come and pray about that. Make that between you and the Lord. Our prayer partners here will pray with you. I know you have some great friends sitting around you. If you said, hey, would you come pray with me? The answer would be yes. Let me remove all fear. The answer will be yes. Come and pray and respond to the Lord. Because much like the 12 disciples, we have the same opportunity. If we will follow him to the ends of the earth, Jesus will be with us for all time. And he will be with us. And we will become like him. And we will begin to change the world.